This is the third week of the series on influence. The first week I preached a message called Positioned for Influence, which was talking about you are a city on a hill. You're a lot of the world sitting on a hill that cannot be hidden. But who lights a, a candle to put it under a basket, but rather puts it on the lampstand so it can provide light for the whole house? That God has positioned you and placed you places to be the light, to show people who Jesus is that you can reach that I cannot. That's what he's done. And last week, Pastor Jason preached. I snuck my wife out of town. Last week, Pastor Jason preached about internal influence and that you have the most influence over yourself. My favorite thing, he said, was to not let a weakness prevent you from walking in a strength. My favorite thing. If, if I didn't live by that, I would never sing because my weakness is my lungs, so it doesn't make sense that, a, that a, an asthmatic person would sing or play the saxophone. I don't play the saxophone very much because I'm not that good at it anymore, but it would, I wouldn't do it because I have that weakness. But that's not the case because I'm not going to let a weakness prevent me from walking in a strength. And this morning, we're going to take that point and just kind of magnify it in one particular area. And I'm going to be talking to you about what I think is the single most powerful place of influence we have as Christians. And that's influence in prayer. Influence in prayer. Pray with me real quick. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you that you're here. I thank you that you allowed me to teach this with all truth, all clarity, not my own opinion or theology, but all of you. And Father, I pray that every person in the sound of my voice leaves this place changed, wanting and knowing you more. And God, let a spirit of fervent prayer fall on this house today as I preach this message. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 12. Before I read, we're going to read 19 verses of Scripture this morning, so bear with me. I want to make sure you get the whole story. But I want to give you a couple of quotes this morning that are from my favorite author, not named Jesus. Um, and you may not do this, right? Like, I know there's some people who, like, I make this analogy. Some people like to do those Ironman races and those triathlons and, like, run and do all kind of crazy physical things. And I'm like, why would you do that? I just don't, I just don't, I just don't, I don't, don't get it. I'm not knocking you. I just don't understand why you want to get covered in the mud and hurt yourself and climb random wooden objects just to say you climbed. I don't understand it, right? But the same thing can be made for Christians who read Ravenhill. Because Leonard Ravenhill is probably the most offensive Christian writer to Christians ever, other than Jesus. Jesus is pretty offensive too if we read it right. But Ravenhill, like, provokes me more than anybody else and... I'm going to give you three quotes of his. Number one is, I'm going to give you two of them. Number one is, a man who is intimate with God will never be intimidated by men. A man or woman who is intimate with God, spends quality time in prayer with God, will never be intimidated by men. The second one that I will give you is, he said, and this, this one kills me, says, when we stand before God, we will not be ashamed by the amount of money we gave, the amount of church we attended or do not attend. We will be ashamed by the amount of time we spent in prayer. He also says, and I'll touch this again in a minute, he also says that prayer is not a discipline. Prayer is not a, a discipline problem. It's a belief problem. Many people say, I, I just, I struggle getting in the routine to pray. I struggle, you know, remembering to pray. No, 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 no. It's not a discipline problem. It's a belief problem. Because if you believe that prayer was as powerful as the Bible says it is, you wouldn't have a problem doing it. Right? Brushing your teeth is not a discipline problem if you don't do it. 
It's a belief problem that you just don't think your breath is stank. And the last one that I'll quote, and I'll paraphrase, I don't remember, have it completely memorized, is that the pastor that is not praying is playing. And the church people that are not praying are straying. I'm here to tell you something. The single most important thing you can do as a Christian in conjunction with reading your Bible is praying. We never grow to a place of superior spirituality where we do not feel the need to pray. We cannot grow to a place where we become so full of faith that we don't need to pray. Well, God already knows what I'm going to say. Yeah, he does, but that doesn't mean he don't want you to do it. But you're ready for like the, the, the most ridiculous statistic you'll ever hear in your life. On average, ready for this? On average, pastors pray eight minutes a week. Pastors. Not this one. But some of them. I don't know who they are. But some of them. Eight minutes a week. Y'all don't want to know the statistic on not pastors. There is no data. Because prayer in the life of regular Christians in America is so minute that there's no way to actually give an analogy. Yet we wonder why we see things in Scripture and we see things in foreign countries and we see testimonies from people who've been serving the Lord 40 and 50 years and we say, why don't we see that? I'll tell you why we don't see it. They had three channels on TV. We have a thousand. I'm going to tell you why. Because they were willing to sacrifice hours a day in prayer. We sacrifice hours a year in prayer. There is literally, I'm, 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 I hope that this is as confronting to you as I'm, I'm, it's confronting to me because I have been convicted this, of this this week. Because I pray more than eight minutes a week, but I want to repent to you as your pastor that my prayer life has been rocked lately because of all the mess that's been going on and my consistency has not been to the level of which I think it needs to be. And so what I'm saying is that this whole ministry needs to take it up a notch in prayer. Because there is no area that we have a greater influence on our lives than in prayer. Can somebody get me a water? That would be amazing. Let's go to Acts chapter 12, verse 1 through 19. <clears throat> now about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. That sounded like a CNN headline. Anyway, chapter 2. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. Thank you. <clears throat> Give me one second. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. So when he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him. <clears throat> Sorry, my throat ain't right intending to bring him before the people after Passover. Verse 5, Peter was therefore kept in prison, but I want you to say this with me, say constant prayer. Say, say it again, say constant prayer. 
was offered to God for him by the church. And when Herod was about to bring him out that night, Peter was sleeping. Y'all check this out. He was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers. And the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Pause. This doesn't happen with my message necessarily, but I hope that the devil is as afraid of me as he was of Peter. That he, I'm going to put you in two chains, I'm going to have two guys standing next to you, and I'm going to have two guys at the door, and you're sleeping. I hope that that's how hell acts with me. I want to live a life that's so offensive and dangerous to the kingdom of hell that I'm on his top 10 wanted list. I want, I want to make him angry when I wake up. I want to make him angry when I sleep. I want to make him angry when I'm eating. I want to make him angry when I'm breathing because I hate him that much because of what he's stolen and what he's robbed and what he's taken and what he's doing and how he's lied and destroyed lives. I hope that he hates me and he is terrified of me that he tries to block me up and lock me up just like this. Pastor Chris, that don't sound like fun. Oh, no, it, it's a blast. It's a blast. Let's keep going. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison, and he struck Peter on the side. Y'all, he, he kicked him. That's what I think he did. He just kicked him. Bah. Raised him up, saying, Arise quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. Then the angel said to him, Gird yourself and tie your sandals. And so he did. And he said to him, Put on your garment and follow me. So he went out and followed him. And he did not know that what was done by the angel was real. But he thought he was seeing a vision. You ever had God do something so crazy in your life you didn't think it was real? If not, you ain't praying enough. Verse 10. When they were past the first and second guard post, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. Then went out and went down one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. And when Peter had come to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. So when he had considered this, when he realized he wasn't dreaming or having a vision, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where they were gathered together praying. They were in a prayer meeting. And Peter knocked at the door of the gate, and a girl named Rhoda came to answer it. And when she recognized Peter's voice, because of her gladness, she did not open the gate. Think about that. She's so excited, he's not gonna, she didn't even let him in. She's so excited. Peter is locked out of the prayer meeting that's for him. Like, y'all, they're having a prayer meeting for Peter, and Peter gets out of jail, and he's locked out of his own prayer meeting. I just think that's hysterical. But then said to her, you are, no, sorry. When she recognized Peter's voice, because of her gladness, she didn't open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. But they said to her, you are beside yourself. She kept insisting that it was so. So they said, ah, it must be his angel. Now Peter continued knocking. He's like, y'all, they're going to come get me if they don't let me in. Like, could y'all come open the door, please? <clears throat> and they opened the door, and they was astonished. But motioning to them with his hand to keep silent, he declared, to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, go tell these things to James and to the brethren. And he departed and went to another place. Then as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers about what had become of Peter. But when Herod had searched for him and not found him, he examined the guards and commanded that they should be put to death. And he went down, Peter went down from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. Peter is thrown in prison by the Roman government. Herod is a Jewish 
leader, Jewish citizen who has sold out to Rome and is now in a position of authority within the Roman government, like a pseudo-authority there. And he's the one that throws Peter in prison. Peter is bound with two chains. He has two guards on either side of him, and he has two guards at the door. I don't know about you, but when you listen to this and you read this, it's very quick to understand that Peter had no natural ability in and of himself to free himself. Zero. He could do nothing to get himself out of the jam that he was in. Now, he's in a hopeless situation, and he's absolutely powerless, but I read a commentary this week that was just absolutely incredible, and this, this is the statement. It said that prayer is the strength of the weak. Prayer is the strength of the weak. But I want, to know, I want you to notice something. Look at verse 5. Go back to verse 5 for me. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him. By who? By who? Wait, wait. Constant prayer wasn't offered for Peter by Peter? No. This says that constant prayer was offered for Peter by the church. Let's think about the church for a second. They're, they're foreign, they're subjects to the Roman Empire. They don't have any political pull. They don't have any, they're not going to go mount up an army to go set him free. That'll preach. Um, there's all kinds of stuff. So I almost got sidetracked for the head of, whoop, bring it back in. They have no influence in and of themselves. They couldn't go knock on the door and get him out. They couldn't call the senator. They couldn't call the judge. They couldn't call the general. They were completely powerless to get Peter out. But strength, but prayer is the strength of the weak. They were kept in constant prayer. You have to understand something. It wasn't political or financial or physical influence that liberated Peter. It was prayer. It was the influence of the believers in prayer being used. Hear me out. There are situations and there are people in your life, in my life, that we have the ability to influence through prayer. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, the enemy is looking to destroy lives. And we have the ability to go to God whenever we want for whatever reason in prayer, yet so few of us actually use it. We will post about our problems. We will vent about our problems. We will try to solve our problems on our own, but we will not use the single most influential thing we have in our arsenal, which is to go before the throne of Almighty God and tell Him our situation. What got Peter out of jail was a miraculous move of God that came about because of prayer. If it is our greatest area of influence, how do we use it? How do we use this amazing area of influence? Y'all, I don't know about you. Have you ever, have you ever been asked... If you know a guy, like if you have poll, can you make a phone call? You ever had that? That happens to me from time to time. Like, Pastor Chris, can you call somebody and see if they could do, you know, whatever? Or you know that person, can you call? Or blah, 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 blah. Yeah, that happened. Not that I know all these people, but apparently people think I know everybody. And they're like, hey, can you call? I'm like, I mean, sure, I'll call. I don't know if they're going to answer, but I'll call. You do realize that you have a direct line to the most powerful hookup there is imaginable now you can call me hey pastor Chris, can you call this pastor and see if you know i can have lunch with him or whatever okay sure i'll call him you could pick up the phone and call god 
whenever you want. You don't need me to call God for you. Some churches teach that you do, but I'm telling you that ain't in the Bible. You can go before the throne of grace with confidence and find help in your time of need whenever you want because we have a great high priest who is not foreign to our struggles. Yet in every way was tempted, yet remained sinless. We can go right to him. We can go right to him. We can go right to him. But we don't. You know how I know? Because I follow y'all on Facebook. That's how I know. I pull up your life group attendance. I've been here on Monday nights with eight people. I've been here. That's how I know we don't do it. And this is the deal, right? I hope this has you squirming because it's had me squirming all week. I hope I shared something with you. This has been miserable. I called Pastor Jason in my office Friday. You got to help me with this sermon. He said, why? I said, because it, it, it ain't working. It ain't making sense. He's like, it seems pretty good. He literally said, like, I don't see what the problem is. Like, it seems put together. I think you'll be fine. Like, you don't understand. Now I do because it's been ripping me up from the inside out. Because I've been so busy trying to figure out what the insurance is going to do with this building and what the insurance is going to do with my house. They didn't want to pay for nothing. And all this, I've been so worried about that. And I've been fussing and complaining and grunting instead of going to God and saying, hey, this is your deal. Let me fix it. But we don't do it. We don't do it. We have enough faith. Check this out. We have enough faith to believe that a man who we've never seen, never talked to, never met in the flesh, died 2,000 years ago for our death. And that one death, the shedding of his blood, covered and paid for the sin of every living human being that has ever lived. And all we have to do is put our faith in what he did and our sins are forgiven. We believe that with no question. If I came up to you and I asked you, do you believe Genesis 1, where it says that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, most likely you're going to be like, yeah, I believe that. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I do. But you come and we, we panic and we freak out and we get anxiety and we get depression and we pop pills because we're so concerned about a situation that's right in front of us and God will fix it right in front of us, but we don't go to Him with it. It's amazing to me that we can have faith for the big things, but we struggle with faith for the small things. The reason we struggle with faith for the small things is because faith, we walk by faith and not by sight. We can't see the big things. We can see the small things. And see, if the devil can get you to doubt God enough in the small things, he'll eventually get you doubting him in the big things. We don't pray. So I'm going to give you, this one, is it four or three? Remember, it's four. I'm going to give you four steps to use this influence you ready for step one step one pray pray like for real like this might be the most blunt and seemingly foolish sermon point that i will ever give you but it's the most fundamental and important point i can ever give you pray Find a way to pray. A lot of times what happens, and I'm going to use this analogy real quick. This isn't in my notes. I'm going to use this analogy. A lot of times what happens is we treat 
things of the Spirit. We treat uh, the, the Word of God, we treat prayer, we treat our devotion life like an accessory. Okay? So, guys, we don't really accessorize with our outfits, right? But let's just say that I did. This watch would be an accessory. I don't have to have this watch on, right? It, it, it's, it's nice, it's a cool watch, whatever. I like to know what time it is. But I, I don't need to wear this watch. Far too many times we treat prayer like a watch rather than pants. What I mean by that is, I'm running late this morning. I, I forgot to grab my watch. Have you ever woke up late, ran out the door, got in your car, drove to work, and said, oh, I forgot my pants. If so, go see a doctor, come get prayer, apologize to everyone you work with. But see, what has happened is we have made prayer an accessory that looks, it looks better when I wear it. It look, when I'm going to the wedding and I want to look good, I put the, I put the, I put the accessory on. When, when I'm going out to dinner with the, the boss that I want to impress, I put, I put the accessory on. But on Saturday morning when I don't really have nobody to see, I'm not going to put the accessory on. We treat prayer like an accessory rather than pants. Might be a silly analogy, but I can promise you, if you think about praying like pants, the first letter is the same. may help you. If you think of it that way, I promise you won't forget it. Well, Pastor Chris, I just don't have a whole lot of time to pray. You find time to put on your pants, don't you? Y'all think I'm kidding. Y'all, I worked, true story, I worked with a man, went out and delivered pizza for Domino's. And one day, this man shows up to work, gets out of his car, in his, like, his muscle shirt undershirt, his Domino's shirt over his shoulder. That's how he came. He didn't wear the shirt till he got there. And his Domino's hat. And his socks and his shoes. And no pants. And I said, hey, uh, you forgot something. And he went, what? And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, bro, it's like 50 degrees. How are you not noticing there's something going on. Some Christians get out the car on Sundays, walk into church, bound, disgusted, defeated, depressed, anxious, condemned, full of shame, full of bitterness, and they, they come walking into church, and, and the pastor says, how are you doing? Have a great morning. Somebody says, very morning. You're like, yeah, I'm good. I don't know why I'm just so down. Bro, you forgot your pants. Pray. Think about this real quick. Go to Luke 11, chapter, Luke chapter 11, verse 1. Now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place, when he had ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Y'all, this is, this is so important, and you've heard it before. These disciples could have asked Jesus to teach them anything. Jesus, teach us to raise the dead, teach us to walk on water. I don't know about you, that would probably been the one I picked. 
Jesus, teach me to walk on water because that could really, like, you know, get some attention and I could, people listen to me. If I can walk on water, they might listen when I have to say more if I could do that. Teach me that one. No, what do they do? Lord, teach us to pray. Why is that the thing that they ask? You know why? Because they noticed that it was the most important part of Jesus' life. And if that's the most important part of your life, I want to be the most important part of my life. Y'all, if Jesus, over and over and over and over again, we see Jesus went away by himself to pray. Jesus brought the disciples here and then went up the mountain to pray. You realize Jesus was always trying to get away from people to pray, yet we always want to try to get around people and complain. Yeah, Jesus is saying, no, I got to get away from all y'all people because y'all ain't going to help me any. You're just going to tell me that my situation's horrible. I'm going to go talk to the one that can give me the strength to get through it and want to change it. Jesus understood this, and the disciples caught it. They said, if you're going to teach me anything, I want to learn the most important thing that you have, and that's to pray. Now, I want to go to Matthew chapter 6. I skipped the scripture. Praise the Lord. Matthew chapter 6, 5 through 7. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand, pray, standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets. I never seen nobody stand on the corner of the streets just praying. I'm just saying. I mean, I did it once, tried to raise body from the dead. It didn't work, but I did it. That they may be men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. Keep going. But when, but you, when you pray, go into your room, when you have shut the door, pray to your father who is in the secret place, and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathens do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. I want you to do me a favor, and I want you to, if you have your Bible, it's so important to bring your Bible to church. But if you're looking on your phone, I want you to look at those verses, and I want you to highlight or underline how many times Jesus says, when you pray. When you pray, when you pray, when you pray. He ain't saying if you pray. Understand this. The New Testament is written with the understanding that disciples of Jesus are going to pray. I've been looking, and I have not found a spot where it says, thou shalt pray. That's like a doctor saying, okay, Raph, don't forget to breathe. Make sure you're breathing regularly. Like you can't forget, that's pretty important. Let me write you a prescription for a pill to remind you to breathe. That, that doesn't happen. No, Jesus is writing this, say, hey, by the way, when you pray, I'm exp like, you should be. You got to realize that, that the Bible is written from the place of him understanding that we're going to be praying. So imagine what he, what he sees when he looks and sees churches filled with people all across this nation right now that do not pray. He says, when you pray, when you pray. The second point after pray is learn to pray. That's what I just told you, that the disciples asked, if you're going to teach me anything, teach me to pray. Well, Pastor Chris, how do I learn to pray? How do you learn anything else? You go find somebody who does it. You do it with them, and then you practice. Y'all want to know how I learned to pray? I'll give you two ways I learned to pray. The first way I learned to pray was having a praying mama. That's the first place I learned to pray. My kids right now can quote to you the prayer she prayed over me. Why? Because I watched it. 
There were things that she prayed over me when I was in her womb that I didn't know she was praying over me until I started doing it. And then she's like, hey, I prayed for that. She used to pray when she was pregnant for me. I don't know if she prayed afterwards, but I don't want she was pregnant for me. She would pray that I'd be able to play the piano like I was brushing my teeth. I didn't know that. I don't, I don't remember her praying that over me because I was obviously still in her womb. And she prayed, let him play the piano like he's brushing his teeth. I went to six months of piano lessons. I've been playing piano for over 25 years. When you, when you listen to me play piano, I'm not bragging on myself because it ain't me. When you listen to me play the piano, it doesn't sound like somebody who had six months of lessons. No, it sounds like somebody who's as comfortable playing piano as they are brushing their teeth. Why? Because she prayed. Moms. Dads. If you're not praying for your children, repent. Period. Pastor I don't know how to pray. You, don't, you may not know how to swim, but if your kid's drowning, you're going to figure out how to swim quick. You're not, you're not just going to hope that somebody else jumps in and saves them. You're going to get in the pool and save your kid even if you don't know how to swim. You're going to figure it out quick. Let me tell you something. Your kid might not be drowning, but the enemy sure hopes he can drown them with the cares of this world. And some of y'all better start jumping in the prayer closet before the enemy steals your kids. The second way that I learned how to pray was I got around people who knew how to pray. Now, I don't know if, if she'll watch this, but there are two ladies that, that I, I've been around most of my life because they used to pray every Tuesday at the church, Miss Miriam Corona and Miss Sandra DeGusis, right? And, and they would pray. And I'd be 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 years old, and I'd just go sit in the room with them. They'd always come pray for me, but I'd go sit in the room, I'd just listen to them pray. And I started noticing a couple of things. Number one is they never prayed like they were begging. They have never prayed, oh Lord, please. Oh Lord, please, if you would. It's never been a if, like they've never play, prayed from the position of a question. The second thing I learned is that they were praying the word of God. And if you know those ladies, you know that they are basically a walking, scripture-quoting machine. One other lady who's no longer with us, she passed away, Miss Eileen Englehart, which I don't even know if she spoke regular English. I think she just quoted scripture and other words came out. We had a, a, a serve day at the church or whatever, like a, a, a shindig for all the people volunteering, and we played Bible trivia, and I'm the host. And my brother Cliff and a couple of the youth had Miss Eileen on that team. And there was a section of Bible trivia where I would quote a scripture and you had to go find it in scripture. Y'all, Cliff just started going, before I finished it, he just put his hand up. Because she knew every verse. Chapter and reference in the King James Bible. Well, I'm quoting in the NLT and NIV. She's in the King James. Hath thou shalt though. But it was in her. Because, see, the book of Isaiah says that the Lord watches over his word to perform it. So if you want God to hear what you're praying and to be responsive to what you're praying, pray this back to him. Past couple of days, I'm going to just be transparent with you. Past couple of days, I've been really struggling. We've gotten some haymakers with, in our personal life in the area of finances. And I've been... I've been dealing with it and I've been pretty aggravated and I, I 
I, I can at times have a, have a temper problem, and I, I've been better than I have in the past. But it's had me a little aggravated. And so I got convicted because that's what happens when Chris gets aggravated and don't pray. He just gets convicted, and it feels like trash. But I remembered something in Malachi chapter 3 where it says that when I tithe, that the Lord will rebuke the devourer for my sake. And so Friday morning and Saturday morning, you know what I was doing? I got up and I'm walking around my house and I'm saying, Lord, your word says, you said that when I tithe, part of the return, part of the promise on that is that you're going to rebuke the devourer for my sake. Well, Lord, there's something devouring my family's finances and I need you to rebuke it for me. Now, I haven't seen the, 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 the fruit of that yet, but I can promise you it's coming. Why? Because I'm that confident in what this book says. Because I pray the word. Pastor Chris, how do you pray the word? You memorize it. You memorize it. How do you memorize scripture? I have an app that I can give you. It literally makes memorizing scripture into a game. So stop playing Candy Crush and Angry Birds and scroll on Facebook all day and memorize scripture. Psalm chapter 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. For his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. You can't meditate on something that you don't have in front of you at all times. I don't know about you, but I can't carry my Bible in front of me all day. But when I memorize it and I write it on the tablet of my heart, Father, I've hid your word in my heart that I might not sin against thee. When I have it in me, I can meditate on it. And the next verse in Psalm 1, after I meditate on his law day and night, he shall be like a tree planted by the streams of living water that bears fruit in each season. Its branch does wither. Its leaf always prospers. I'm not going to keep quoting the chapter just for the sake of it. But learn to pray. Some of you in here don't know how to pray. You need to be here. Pursue prayer. You need to be here. Why? Because there's people here who know how to pray. You can walk up to them. Amy, I don't know how to pray. Help me. Okay. Cliff, I don't know how to pray. Help me. Okay. Because, let me tell you something, the more people we have praying, the better it is. Let's keep going. The third thing is pray often. It's like a real simple sermon. I don't know if you caught on to that yet. It's like super simple. Point one is pray. Point two is learn to pray. And point three is pray often. Right? You, you, I hope you are not expecting deep revelation from the third heavens this morning. Because... I don't care about that if we ain't praying. I don't. I, yeah, I love the deep mysteries of God. I love studying Greek and Hebrew and getting just great. Those are awesome and fun, but useless if we ain't praying. Pray often. Good, put the next verse up for me. Rejoice always. Y'all, this is fun. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. I want y'all to notice something for me. Look at verse 16. Know what it says? It says, rejoice always, and then skip 17 and go to 18. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. What's the will of God? Rejoice always, and in everything, give thanks. Right? Y'all want to know why pray without ceasing is smack in the middle? Because there ain't no way in the world you're going to rejoice always and be thankful in everything if you ain't praying without ceasing. 
So Paul's like, this is the will of God for you to be rejoicing always and in everything giving thanks. But I know you can't do that if you ain't praying without ceasing. Because I don't know about you. Maybe it's just me. But there are just things I don't want to be thankful for. I don't want to be thankful that insurance is being insurance with my house. Why would I want to be thankful for that? Because it tells me to. Because I don't want to disqualify a move of God in my life by the moving of my mouth. Pray without ceasing. Pastor Chris, how in the world do you pray without ceasing? That seems so crazy. How does it even make sense to pray without ceasing? I'm going to tell you how to pray without ceasing. Prayer is a two-way street, right? It's a conversation. It's me talking to him, then it's him talking back. But you know, it's really hard to hear someone talking back to you if you always talking. So when I mean pray without ceasing, I pray in the morning. And it's very rare. I'll be honest with you. It's very rare. I talk this all the time with intercessors. It's very rare that when I'm praying in the morning that he answers me. You know when he answers me? When I'm driving from the church to WOW to eat lunch. And it's a five-minute truck ride. But I got worship music on in my truck and I'm not on the phone. I'm not goofing off. I'm not being silly. I'm not thinking about my grocery order. What I'm doing, not, I mean, I don't really have those. But you know what I mean? Like... I'm thinking about getting my oil changed. I'm thinking about all these different things. No, when I put my focus on him, when I put my attention on him, when I carve out windows of time throughout my day to make room for him, I am praying without ceasing. I'm listening to what he has to say to me. But see, he's a gentleman, so he's not going to force conversation on you. Y'all got that kid that just makes you talk to them? Right? Bethany is that kid. Addison is too, but Bethany's just significantly more persistent and louder. Mom, 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 dad, 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 mom, dad, mom, I want water, mom, I want water, mom, can I get a water? Mom, Michelle was by my house yesterday and she experienced both of my children just, just, constantly interrupting and going crazy to get my attention. But you know what happens? Eventually, I go, yes, Bethany. Or, I'm talking right now, wait a second, okay. Dad, you said wait a second. But eventually, I answer. Some of you don't hear anything because you ask and expect the 21st century microwavable answer. The quick satisfaction, the quick turnaround. When, let's talk to some of these older saints that have been praying for decades. No, it might not be a quick turnaround. That don't mean I stop praying. It don't mean I stop listening. So first we have pray. Second, we have learn to pray. Third, we have pray often. And fourth, I'm going to close in with this, is realize your influence. Realize your influence. If, if we realize our influence in prayer, y'all, we'd be taking PTO time off to pray. We would. We would take full days off. We'd take vacation days from work to spend all day in prayer. I promise you. That's what we'd be doing. If we realize the influence that we had. Regardless how powerful your influence may be in a company or in a relationship in the natural, it pales in comparison to your influence in prayer. 
Someone has to be praying for your spouse, your children, your co-workers. And the more you pray, the more influence in prayer God will give you. I want to give you two quick stories about the influence of prayer, and then we're going to close. First, I, when I was a youth pastor, one of my favorite roles that the Lord allowed me to walk in, and I still do, was being a spiritual dad. It's one of my favorite things to do. Um, and it didn't start off that way. It, I kind of grew into it as, as I matured in the Lord and I understood some more things. And, and there were just young people who would call me their spiritual dad. Well, I did not assume that role. People told me, hey, I want you to be a father figure in my life. I want you to speak in my life that way. And so one of the people that did that was Pastor Jason. And so he did that. And when, when you become one of my spiritual kids, I pray for you like you are my kids. I'd pray for him, and I'd pray for his spouse. I'd pray for him at school. I'd pray all these different things. Well, then we go on a trip to Texas, and he's preaching, and there's this girl on the stage, and she gives this word before worship, and Jason fell in love. Me and Brady watched the moment that he fell in love. Me and Brady even, like, looked at each other and kind of chuckled a little because Jason was like, like, like the cartoons with the, the, the hearts in the eyes. That, I mean, it happened just like that. And, but I don't even know her name. I met her over there. But I didn't pray for her yet. They started dating. And I would pray for her occasionally, you know. She called me one day and she says, hey, Jason and I are getting a little serious. I want to talk to you. I'm like, okay. She said, if we get married and I move to Chalmette, is there a ministry opportunity for me? I said, absolutely. As long as I'm here, there'll be opportunity. Okay. Then... They got engaged. And that was it. She didn't have to ask me to be her spiritual father. Because spiritually, that was my spiritual daughter-in-law, whether she wanted me to pray for her or not. And then it eventually grew to the point that we went, we're at lunch one day, and she says, hey, I've never really had a spiritual dad. Would you be that? I'm like, girl, I've been doing that for like a year already. Sure. It grew. See, there are sometimes the influence in prayer doesn't seem as big as you want it to be because you haven't started praying yet. When you begin to pray and God can trust you with little, he gives you much. This is one of my favorite ones, and I still pray this for people right now. So the first person that ever came to me and asked me to be a spiritual dad was a young lady. I won't say her name just for the sake of it. And she, I mean, real rough life. Dad wasn't around. She called her dad her sperm donor. Like, she refused to even acknowledge him. Um, and she came to youth one night. She's up at the front. She's weeping. And the Holy Spirit tells me to go tell her, if you would, you would move her in your house and adopt her. I'm like, okay, whatever. It's kind of weird. Freak me out a little bit. Okay. So I called Caitlin over. I'm like, I need you to come stand here. So she come. I said, hey, the Lord wanted me to tell you that if I could, I would move you into my house and I would adopt you. And she dropped to the floor in the fetal position in front of like 50 teenagers and starts bawling her eyes out crying. I didn't realize this. She had been kicked out of her house by her mom at 16 and she was living in her car. She eventually moved in with Dawn and Lonnie for a little while. Then she went back home. Well, a few months later, she starts getting tempted by the world again and she starts kind of leaving. And I walked up to her the last Sunday she was in church and I said, hey, I just want to ask you a question. She said, what? I said, do you still want me to be dad? And she said, yeah. I said, are you sure? And she said, yeah. I said, okay. So I prayed for her every day. Wonder what I prayed? I prayed, Lord, let her be sin sick and miserable in every situation that caused her to stumble. 
And there'd be certain times I'd go real hard. I'd say, Lord, I want her day to be miserable. I want her life to be miserable. I want every frazzling thing she does to just be a disaster. Because I want you to get her attention. I pray this every day. Let her be sin sick and miserable in every situation that caused her to stumble. And she called me. Well, I texted her about something she posted and she got mad at me. And I, I said, look, I'm praying for you to be sin sick and miserable in every situation that causes you to stumble because I love you. And she's like, yeah, whatever, blah, blah. She got kind of mad at me. We used to do this youth conference over Mardi Gras called Submerge. It starts on a Sunday night. And I'm pretty sure Bacchus is the parade on Sunday. And she was getting up to go to the parade. And that morning, the Lord told me to get up and pray that she'd be sin sick and miserable. Let me she cause her to stumble. And so guess what? I, got, I just went after it. Like, Lord, I pray her day. I pray, I pray the parade's terrible. I pray her day's terrible. I pray she gets sick. I'm all just, just ruin her day in Jesus' name. I get a text message at about 1 o'clock, and I'm leaving her to get a text message from her saying, hey, you praying that prayer? I said, every day. She said, can you stop and pray for this migraine? I called, I said, what happened? She gave her friend the phone because she was in so much pain in the backseat of her car that she was about to throw up. She felt fine. So y'all might think this is me. She felt fine. Got in the car, got dressed, drove out. Now they're going to be doing all kind of drinking like crazy and all that kind of stuff. I just don't need to be in money, but crash. But anyway, um, she gets out to the break. The moment she parks and then walks, blocks to her spot. She didn't get sick till she got there. The moment she got there, the headache shows up. She drives all the way home. I say, put, I, the young girl says she, she's, you know, she's sick, but I said, put her on the phone. She can't talk. I said, she ain't got to talk. She's just got to listen. I said, okay. I said, in Jesus' name, I pray you make this headache leave Brooke so she can come to church tonight. I said, but if she goes back to the city, let it come back worse in Jesus' name. Guess where she was that night? At church. Now, she can do whatever she wants, but she can't deny those things. Don't tell me you don't have influence in prayer. Don't tell me you don't. There's people right now that I pray, Lord, let their situation be miserable because they're far from you. And I'd rather somebody be miserable away from Jesus. Miserable than happy without him. Because I can promise you, whatever misery they're in right now doesn't pale in comparison. I mean, it's so not even relatable to what we're doing without Jesus. You have influence in prayer. Maybe you're here this morning and some of you don't know how to pray. Maybe you struggle to pray. You, you, you have difficulty with it. You struggle with believing for it. You struggle with all the above. You struggle with it. Maybe you're here. And you know for a fact that you have to repent for not praying enough. You just know, I just don't. And here's the deal, right? I know that every Christian in the world, an honest Christian, is going to say they don't pray enough. Like everybody's going to say that. But there's a difference between knowing you're not praying enough in general and knowing that the Lord is calling you to a deeper place of prayer and you haven't answered. There's a difference. 